pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we do have to gather here together uh, in your name to hear your word. We thank you, Lord, that you meet us in your word. Uh, Lord, uh, the service is, is not so much about us uh, being entertained, but us receiving from you the truth of your word. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that that would continue. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to your word today as, uh, as we do cover uh, a difficult passage of scripture and a difficult topic, Lord, realizing that many have been, have, uh, have been hurt in the marriage relationship and also knowing, Heavenly Father, that you are a God of grace, of mercy, and of unbounding love, love which we are incapable of, of measuring. And so Heavenly Father, I do pray in your name that we would walk away from here with the knowledge of the truth of your word, but also the knowledge of the truth of your grace and your mercy, which covers and heals and which liberates us from that which causes bondage in our lives. So fill us with your Holy Spirit now and teach us, we pray. Amen. Today we go to Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 16. If you'd like to follow along in your Bibles, please turn there. Or if you'd like to follow from the screen, we also have that available for you today. Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 2. Here Jesus is teaching about divorce. Verse 2 says, And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Interesting, this word that you see there, test, is only used twice in Mark's gospel. The other time it's used in Mark's gospel, that word test, is when Satan came to test Jesus. So think of the motives of these Pharisees as they come to Jesus. And he answered, what did Moses command you? Uh, they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. And uh, in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And then it goes on to say, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So today we talk about marriage and divorce. There are two vital things, two things uh, I believe are vital before we, we talk about this subject uh, that we must know because there are two different uh, uh, extremes we can go to. Um, first of all, number one, what, what is vital is we need to interpret scripture within the context of scripture. Have you heard that before? When you interpret the Bible, you must interpret the Bible in the context of all of scripture. Scripture interprets scripture for us. 
We should never take one scripture and interpret it in isolation from, from everything else that, that, that scripture says. And many have in, invented harsh and unloving views of divorce because they have interpreted passages, passages like Mark 10 in isolation of the whole of what the Bible teaches. So when we take one verse in isolation from the rest of Scripture, it might take us down a very dangerous and even destructive path. Here's something important to remember. This is from the book Issues Facing Christians Today by John Stott. The same God who said, I hate divorce in Malachi 2.16, also said through the prophet Hosea, remember Hosea, whose partner had been blatantly unfaithful and immoral, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. When we fail to interpret scripture, with scripture strange doctrines are conceived. This is exactly what the Pharisees would do. They would interpret a single passage in isolation of the totality of scripture. Proof text that the Pharisees used was Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. This is the passage Jesus was referring to when he says, Moses gave you this commandment because of the hardness of your heart. Not because it is God's original intent for marriage, but because of the hardness of heart. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she had been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So here they took portions of Deuteronomy and they said, well, if, if, a, if a man's unhappy with his wife, he could just simply write a certificate of divorce and send her away, do away with her. And so they come to Jesus to test Jesus. What do you think, Jesus? What do you think? And Jesus said, sure, Deut Deuteronomy does say exactly that, but you're forgetting what Moses also wrote in Genesis chapter 2. Yes, we can take Genesis 24, but we cannot ignore Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when God instituted marriage at creation. Let's read this verse. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and what? Hold fast. Does anybody here know what the old King James word was? And cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. What is the key phrase in Genesis 2.24? What is the key phrase? Hold fast. Cleave. And that, brothers and sisters, is the key to a lasting mar marriage, to hold fast or to cleave, to hold fast 
for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or worse, hold fast. Cleave to your spouse. Do not let go. It's true in many circumstances it might be easier to write a certificate of divorce, right? To dissolve the marriage, to walk away. We cannot forget what God has said at the beginning when he instituted marriage that we are to hold fast or we are to cleave to our spouse. So it's vital for us to interpret scripture with scripture. What does the entire counsel of God's word reveal to us about a certain subject? Because when we take one passage in isolation from other passages or the whole counsel of what God has says, we end up in a bad place. Uh, Vital number two, the proper distinction between the law and the gospel must be utilized. We need to understand uh, the distinction between God's commandments and God's promises, or of God's grace and his mercy, which is given to us in the gospel. If we do not utilize the law, we give people license to sin. So the law is, is absolutely essential that we proclaim the law in situations of of, of marriage and, and divorce. If we do not proclaim the law, uh, contrition will never be created within people's hearts. That brokenness uh, over sin will never, be, uh, will never be realized in people's hearts and minds if we do not proclaim the law. And if we do not utilize the gospel among repentant people, among those who have been divorced, if we never give them the sweet, comforting words of the gospel, they will remain in despair over sin and never realize their forgiveness and their freedom through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is restoration for all people, regardless of their sin. This is what makes the gospel beautiful and glorious. Do you know that there are some in the church who would like to permanently mark people who are divorced? To permanently mark the divorced with with the scarlet letter of shame? To say that you somehow are spiritually deficient because you have been through divorce? Should never be within the church. Jesus bore our shame upon the cross, and there's no need for us to bear the shame of any past sin. Where there is forgiveness, where there is the forgiveness of the cross by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, all shame and guilt is removed. And the one who is divorced can move on with freedom and new life. There's one lady in in my church that I served in New York. She came to one of our dinners. We used these uh, fish dinners, fish fries. Um, I know that Norwegians like lutefisk dinners, but uh, people in Western New York love these fish fries. And uh, so we would put on a, a fish fry and a lady came and I sat down next to her and I said, you should come to church. And she said, okay. And so she came to church. And I gave the invitation, 
to come to the altar to receive the sacrament of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I said this, all who hunger for the grace of God, all who hunger for the grace of God are welcome to come forth to kneel and to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's when the tears came. You see, she had been, and she had been marked with, with the scarlet letter of shame. She had been divorced. Decades later, after the divorce, she went to her priest. She wanted to join uh, the local parish in Holland, New York. And uh, the priest said, okay, you can come to our parish, but you cannot come to the altar and you cannot receive the sacrament because our records show that you have not paid for your annulment and therefore you still remain under sin and you may not receive Christ's body and blood. You see, she didn't have the thousands of dollars that the Roman Catholic Church demanded for the annulment in order to put her back in God's favor. When she came and she heard that, there were tears in her eyes because God's grace is available to all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we use the law and gospel approach when ministering to those who have been divorced. Those who have not felt the force of the law regarding their sin must be shown their sinful attitudes, words, and actions so that repentance can be birthed and the brokenness that results from divorce needs the healing power of the gospel. There is forgiveness, grace, mercy, restoration, new life. So what I have to say to you today, if you've been divorced, there is hope in Jesus. There's forgiveness, there's new life in Jesus. Hear what he has to say about marriage and divorce, but do not read what it says in isolation from what Jesus proclaimed from the cross. What did Jesus proclaim from the cross? Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's what Jesus proclaims to you today. Over you, he says, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. What good news. So divorce, divorce, yes. The law reveals that divorce is sin. I ask this question, who has joined man and woman together in the holy relationship of marriage? Who has united them together? Who is it that does that? It is who? God. God unites them. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So often, divorce is the fruit of selfishness, the fruit of selfishness. The dominant worldview of our age seems to be selfishness. It's only good if it benefits me. It's only good if it benefits me. Have, I want you to stop, uh, just stop for a second and, and think. How often does that kind of thinking dominate your decision-making? It's only good if it benefits me. How often do you make decisions in life uh, with, with, that, with that value? It's only good if it benefits 
me. Now carry that mentality into a marriage relationship and what do you have? Disaster. Disaster. Steadfastness. Sacrifice. Bearing with the faults of others. Bearing with the faults of others to maintain the relationship. It seems almost unheard of among many who have, have entered the estate of marriage. That this steadfastness, this sacrifice, and this bearing with the false, faults of my spouse, unheard of. For some, as soon as it seems to get to the point of being too hard to bear any longer couples head for the divorce courts. And in so doing, they might be missing the blessing of bearing through the worst to come out on the other side to experience the best. Selfishness. Selfishness and divorce manifests itself in many ways. Infidelity is selfishness. Lust for another which shatters the spouse, shatters the family, destroys trust. Abandonment is selfishness, taking off, leaving because one spouse no longer desires to bear the burden any longer. Selfishness. And I have to mention another issue too, and that's the issue of abuse. As far as I know, there's no biblical mention of spousal abuse related to divorce, but we can draw from scripture that God does not desire for those being abused to remain in a dangerous relationship. Abuse stems from many different things, mental illness, addiction, unbridled lust, untreated anger. If you are in an abusive relationship, get out. Get out. I'm not saying hurry to divorce, but get out. Maybe leaving your spouse will actually save the marriage by causing the abuser to seek treatment. So with that in mind, With that in mind, don't live with or anywhere near an abusive person. Let's talk about happiness. Let's talk about happiness in marriage. A lot of people want to talk about happiness in marriage or being in love in marriage. Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, have you heard this? I'm not happy in this relationship. Heard that before? I'm not happy in this relationship. But I ask this question, is happiness the main thing in a successful marriage? Is happiness that which defines a successful marriage. How about this, I'm not in love? Is being in love the main thing in a successful marriage? Feeling in love all the time, is that what really defines a successful marriage? I'll tell you what the main thing in a successful marriage is. It is not happiness and it is not the feeling of being in love the main thing in a successful marriage is commitment to your marriage vows. Staying married is not about staying in love. 
Staying married is about remaining committed to the vows that you made to your spouse. That's the key to staying married. Believe me, if you're married, you will not always be happy with your spouse. Just ask Katie. Talk to Katie. Is Katie always happy with me? No, absolutely not. If our marriage was, was, uh, was predicated upon our happiness with each other all the time, we'd be in big trouble. Do we always feel in love? Absolutely not. If you've never been married, just wait until you know, your, your spouse uh, gets sick and you have to clean up. <laughs> the feelings of love go away, right, Katie? Remember? <laughs> if your marriage is about always being in love or always being happy, you're in big, big trouble. You, don't, you won't always feel that loving feeling. Trust me, the feelings of being in love come and go, and sometimes they go for a long time. It's not about remaining happy. Staying married is about commitment to the vows that you made to your spouse. That's what it's about. Now, some of you here may give testimony that you've never had an argument with your spouse. You've been in love every day of your marriage. It's always been happy. And I don't doubt you, but just know this, you are not the norm. You are the exception to the norm because there are many of us here today that, that have never experienced that, that, uh, that, that year long or years long or decades long of, of marital bliss. It's not the way marriage works. Marriage is about commitment and commitment is key. Now, there are times when divorce is unavoidable, but please don't divorce because you're unhappy or because you've lost that love and feeling. But remember that in context of abuse. If there's abuse, get out. Don't stay. Get help. You see, from commitment that endures the worst springs forth, I believe, a deeper and fuller bond between husband and wife. There is a deeper love that grows through commitment. It's not the love that says no matter what comes our way, oh, uh, I'm sorry, it is the love. It is the love that says no matter what comes our way, no matter how miserable we might get, we remain committed to one another. For better, for worse, we're committed. We live in a world that values personal happiness above commitment. Personal happiness above commitment. So marriage was created by God at creation. It is God's gift to us. Marriage is the union of a man and a woman in oneness of heart, mind, and body. It is intended by God for their mutual joy, strength, and comfort. 
Since God has willed that marriage shall last as long as they both shall live, it is to be entered into thoughtfully, reverently, and respectfully. For a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Those are the words I use when I start my premarital counseling or uh, help for engaged people. This gives us a good basis. It comes right out of the, the pastor's book for marrying couples. It's a part of the ceremony. It tells us what marriage is about, what marriage ought to be. Many in Jesus' day and in our day did not recognize marriage as a binding divine union. Some of the Jews would have suggested the divorce be easy. That the indecency mentioned in Deuteronomy 24 be interpreted uh, as anything that irritates the husband. She burns my dinner, write a certificate of divorce and send her away. She nags me all the time, write a certificate of divorce and send her away. He keeps leaving his clothes on the floor Write him a certificate of divorce and send him away. Many in our culture would do the same. If it makes you happy, divorce your spouse. If life would be more exciting for you and more meaningful for you, um, if something's weighing you down because of, of this marriage, then, then dump the spouse and move on. This mentality is destructive, church. It is destructive. I ask this question. Who are those hurt the most by divorce? Who are those hurt the most? From my experience, it's the children. It's very appropriate that Jesus' discourse on the little children immediately follows Jesus' teaching on divorce. And they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. As we study the Bible, we learn that God is deeply concerned about the well-being of the least of those within society. The Bible elevates the position of women to be equal to men, which was revolutionary to a culture that viewed women as property. And the Bible elevates children to a position of great meaning within society. Jesus elevates a child as an example of genuine faith and that we are to have the quality of a childlike faith. You see, for, for, for children to approach Rabbi Jesus, the great prophet and teacher, uh, for, for Jesus to waste his time with children would have been unheard of. But Jesus said, let the little children come. 
I am concerned, Jesus says, for the least of those within society. And I strongly believe that God is concerned about marriage because it is the bedrock of society. When marriages, by God's grace, are able to remain intact, it strengthens the family and it strengthens society as a whole. Strong marriages provide what children need. Many homes and entire communities are suffering because, because the institution of marriage is held in low regard. Divorce is serious. I'm not going to tell you the stories of children in my ministry who have been hurt by divorce. But I don't need to tell you the stories because you already know the stories. You've seen it. You've experienced it. You've been there. All we can say is, Lord, have mercy upon our children. Lord, keep our children and protect our children and give to our children strong families. Now, if this is a normal congregation with normal people, there are many gathered here today who have been affected by divorce. If this is a very abnormal place with abnormal people, then there wouldn't be a single uh, person in here affected by divorce. We live in the real world and we're real people that gather here today. We're people in need of Jesus and of his grace and his mercy and his healing. That's why we come here, right? We don't come here because we have our lives together. We come here because we are messed up people and Jesus came to minister to those in great need. I truly believe the church is for those who have messed up lives and for those who hunger for the grace of Jesus. What does God have to say to you? If you've been through divorce, you're experiencing the heartache of divorce, you're frustrated with somebody uh, who is divorcing or has been divorced, first, I say, please recognize divorce as being outside God's will. Second, repent of your sin. Acknowledging selfishness. Unless you have no role to play, and I know oftentimes there's one spouse who does everything they can to maintain it, and, and oftentimes it is a one-sided thing. Um, still, look inside. Are there sinful attitudes, sinful words, um, sinful actions that have resulted and have come about because of the divorce? Are you harboring bitterness? Do you talk nasty about your ex? Is there a sinful attitude? That all is opportunity for repentance and to receive healing in the grace of Jesus Christ. God wants you to recognize his will for marriage and to repent of sinful actions, attitudes, and words. Uh, God also wants you to know that forgiveness and new life are given to those who repent and believe the good news of the gospel. New life. A new start. God wants you to know that there's new life after divorce. There is no need to for you to bear the scarlet letter of shame. You don't have to bear that. No matter what your sin was or is or will be, Jesus bore your shame for you upon the cross. 
Has anybody told you lately what happened upon the cross, what Jesus did there? We told you lately? As Jesus hung upon the cross, your sin was laid upon him. Jesus bore the scarlet letter of shame on his own body upon the cross. Jesus willingly uh, suffered the punishment you and I deserve for our sin. In love, Jesus willingly took the shame, the guilt, and the pain of our sinful nature and of our sinful choices, and he made it his own. Now it's finished. That's what Jesus cried from the cross, right? It is finished. What better word is there for those who have been divorced to come out on the other side? And to hear from God himself, his gracious voice, say, it's finished. It's finished. The past is covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. New life is available to you. Why carry the shame of past sin when sin has been atoned for by the shed blood of Jesus Christ? God loves Divorced people, he loves those who could no longer bear the weight of a difficult relationship. He died for them. God loves divorced people. He invites them. Come to me. Come to me, all you who were weary and burdened, and I will give you rest and forgiveness. Do you know that God loves adulterers? He even loves those who are most at fault. He loves them. He died for them. He died to take away their sin. Did you know that the narrative of Scripture is the narrative of God marrying himself to an adulterous and unfaithful people? Do you know that's the beautiful picture that's pointed, or painted for us by the prophets of the Old Testament? God committing and binding himself, marrying himself to an adulterous and unfaithful people, a people who continually turned to idols, who forsook the God who entered into covenant with them. God loves adulterers. Are we any different than the Israelites who hoard after idols? Are we any different than them? No. We are those who continually forsake our first love. We whore after that which is worthless and forsake God. But God says, I love you. I have entered into covenant with you by my blood. And that covenant cannot be broken. The cry of God from the the lips of the prophet Hosea to unfaithful Israel is the cry of God to you today. Hear these words. Return Israel. You put your name in there. Replace Israel with your name. Return to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Hosea 14 continued, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like a dew to Israel 
He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots, his young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like that of an olive tree, his fragrance like that, like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like that, like the wine of Lebanon. We serve a God who is gracious and merciful, full of steadfast love. He's full of steadfast love for you. Receive that love today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you do restore us out of that which is very dark and difficult and hard and sinful. You've loved us with an everlasting love. And I do now pray in the name of Jesus for those who are gathered here today. Many sensing the heaviness of their sins. I pray now that the, the reality that they are forgiven, that their shame has been removed, their guilt has been removed, would come to them now in the name of Jesus. That by knowing the reality of the gospel, they would move forth in freedom, freedom to serve, freedom to help, freedom to make this world that we live in a better place. Grant this to us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen.